0: Act 3 of the Misanthrope by Moliere translated by Henri Van Loan This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Act 3 scene 1 Clitandre Acaste
1: My dear marquis you appear mightily pleased with yourself everything amuses you and nothing discomposes you but really and truly think you without flattering yourself that you have good reasons for appearing so joyful
2: i do not find on looking at myself any matter to be sorrowful about i am wealthy i am young and descend from a family which with some appearance of truth may be called noble and i think that by the rank which my lineage confers upon me are very few offices to which i might not aspire (laughs) as for courage which we ought especially to value it is well known this without vanity that i do not like it and people have seen me carry on an affair of honour in a manner sufficiently vigorous and brisk as for wit, i have some no doubt and as for good taste to judge and reason upon everything without study at first night of which i am very fond to take my place as a critic upon the stage to give my opinion as a judge to applaud and point out the best passages by repeated bravos i am sufficiently adroit i carry myself well and am good-looking have particularly fine teeth and a good figure i believe without flattering myself that as for dressing and good taste very few will dispute the palm with me <laughs> i find myself treated with every possible consideration very much beloved by the fair sex and i stand very well with the king with all that i think dear marquis that one might be satisfied with oneself anywhere true
1: but finding so many easy conquests elsewhere why come you here to utter fruitless sighs I. Zams,
2: i have neither the wish nor the disposition to put up with indifference of any woman i leave it to awkward and ordinary people to burn constantly for cruel fair maidens to languish at their feet and to bear with their severities to invoke the aid of sighs and tears and to endeavour by long and persistent assiduities to obtain what is denied to their little merit but men of my stamp Marquis, are not made to love on trust, and be at all the expenses themselves. Would be the merit of the fair ever so great, I think, thank heaven, <laughs> that we have our value as well as they, that it is not reasonable to enthrall a heart like mine without its costing them anything, and that, to weigh everything in a just scale, advances should be at least
1: reciprocal. Then you think that you are right enough here, Marquis. I have some reason, Marquis, to think so. Believe me, divest yourself of this great mistake. You flatter yourself, dear friend, and are altogether self
2: deceived. Well, it is true. I flatter myself, and am, in fact, altogether self deceived. But what causes
1: you to judge your happiness to be complete? I flatter myself. Upon what do you ground your belief? i am altogether self-deceived have you any sure proofs i am mistaken i tell you has solomon made you any secret avowal of her inclinations no i am very badly treated by her answer me i pray i meet with nothing but rebuffs a truce to your raillery and tell me what hope she has held out to you
2: i am the rejected and you are the lucky one she is a great aversion to me and one of these days i shall have to hang myself
1: nonsense shall we two marquis to adjust our love affairs make a compact together whenever one of us shall be able to show a certain proof of having the greater share in Salamence's heart the other shall leave the field free to the supposed conqueror and by that means rid him of an obstinate rival hey God, you please me with these
2: words and i agree to that from the bottom of my heart but hush
0: Scene two Solemene Acaste
3: Clitandre What? Here yeah, still
1: Love, madam, detains us.
3: I hear a carriage below. Do you know whose
0: it is? No. Scene three Celemine Acaste Clitandre Basque
4: away, Madame, is coming up to see you.
3: What does the women want with me?
4: Iliant is downstairs talking to her
3: what is she thinking about and what brings her here
2: she has everywhere the reputation of being a consummate prude and her fervent zeal
3: pshaw downright humbug in her inmost soul she is as worldly as any and her every nerve is strained to hook someone. without being successful however she can only look with envious eyes on the accepted lovers of others and in her wretched condition, forsaken by all, she is for ever railing against the blindness of the age. She endeavours to hide the dreadful isolation of her home under a false cloak of prudishness, and to save the credit of her feeble charms, she brands as criminal the power which they lack. Yet a sway would not come at all amiss to the lady, and she has even a tender hankering after our cest. Every attention that he pays me, she looks upon as a theft committed by me and as an insult to her attractions and her jealous spite which she can hardly hide breaks out against me at every opportunity and in an underhand manner in short i never saw anything to my fancy so stupid she is impertinent to the last degree
0: scene four arsinoe selimene clitandre
3: acaste What happy chance brings you here, madam? I was really getting uneasy about you.
5: I have come to give you some
0: advice as a matter of duty.
3: How very glad I am to see you!
0: Exeunt Clitandre and Acaste laughing. Scene 5 Arsinoe, Solemnene.
5: They could not have left at a more convenient opportunity. Shall we sit down? It is not necessary friendship madam must especially show itself in matters which may be of consequence to us and as there are none of greater importance than honour and decorum i come to prove to you by an advice which closely touches your reputation the friendship which i feel for you yesterday i was with some people of rare virtue where the conversation turned upon you and there your conduct which is causing some stir was unfortunately madam far from being commended that crowd of people whose visits you permit your gallantry and the noise it makes were criticised rather more freely and more severely than i could have wished you can easily imagine whose part i took i did all i could to defend you i exonerated you and vouched for the purity of your heart and the honesty of your intentions but you know there are things in life which one cannot well defend although one may have the greatest wish to do so and i was at last obliged to confess that the way in which you lived did you some harm that in the eyes of the world it had a doubtful look that there was no story so ill-natured as not to be everywhere told about it and that if you liked your behaviour might give less cause for censure not that i believe that decency is in any way outraged heaven forbid that i should harbour such a thought but the world is so ready to give credit to the faintest shadow of a crime and. It is not enough to live blameless oneself madam i believe you to be too sensible not to take in good part this useful counsel and not to ascribe it only to the inner promptings of an affection that feels an interest in your welfare
3: madam i have a great many thanks to return you such counsel lays me under an obligation and far from taking it to miss i intend this very moment to repay the favour by giving you an advice which also touches your reputation closely and as i see you prove yourself my friend by acquainting me with the stories that are current of me i shall follow so nice an example by informing you what is said of you in a house the other day where i paid a visit i met some people of exemplary merit who while talking of the proper duties of a well-spent life turned the topic of the conversation upon you madam there your prudishness and your too fervent zeal were not at all cited as a good example this affectation of a grave demeanour your eternal conversations on wisdom and honour your mincings and mouthings are the slightest shadows of indecency which an innocent though ambiguous word may convey that lofty esteem in which you hold yourself and those pitying glances which you cast upon all your frequent lectures, and your acrid censures on things which are pure and harmless. All this, if I may speak frankly to you, madam, was blamed unanimously. "'What is the good,' said they, "'of this modest mien and this prudent exterior, which is belied by all the rest? She says her prayers with the utmost exactness, but she beats her servants and pays them no wages. She displays great fervor in every place of devotion, but she paints and wishes to appear handsome she covers the nudities in her pictures but loves the reality as for me i undertook your defense against everyone and positively assured them that it was nothing but scandal but the general opinion went against me and they came to the conclusion that you would do well to concern yourself less about the actions of others and take a little more pains with your own that one ought to look a long time at oneself before thinking of condemning other people that when we wish to correct others we ought to add the weight of a blameless life and that even them it would be better to leave it to those whom heaven has ordained for the task madam i also believe you to be too sensible not to take in good part this useful counsel and not to ascribe it only to the inner promptings of an affection that feels an interest in your welfare
5: to whatever we may be exposed when we reprove i did not expect this retort madam and by its very sting i see how my sincere advice has hurt your feelings
3: on the contrary madam and if we are reasonable those mutual counsels would become customary if honestly made use of it would to a great extent destroy the excellent opinion people have of themselves it depends entirely on you whether we shall continue this trustworthy practice with equal zeal and whether we shall take great care to tell each other between ourselves what we hear you of me i of you
5: ah madam i can hear nothing said of you it is in me that people find so much to reprove
3: madam it is easy i believe to blame or praise everything and everyone may be right according to their age and taste there is a time for gallantry there is one also for prudishness one may out of policy take to it when youthful attractions have faded away it's sometimes served to hide vexatious ravages of time i do not say that i shall not follow your example one of these days those things come with old age but twenty as everyone well knows is not an age to play the prude you
5: certainly pride yourself upon a very small advantage and you boast terribly of your age whatever difference there may be between your years and mine there is no occasion to make such a tremendous fuss about it and i am at a loss to know madam why you should get so angry and what makes you goad
3: me in this manner and I, madam, am at an equal loss to know why one hears you inveigh so bitterly against me everywhere. Oh, must I always suffer for your vexations? Can I help it, if people refuse to pay you any attentions? If men will fall in love with me, and will persist in offering me each day those attentions of which your heart would wish to see me deprived, I cannot alter it, and it is not my fault. I leave you the field free and do not prevent you from having charms to attract people
5: alas and do you think that i would trouble myself about this crowd of lovers of which you are so vain and that it is not very easy to judge at what price they may be attracted nowadays do you wish to make it be believed that judging by what is going on your merit alone attracts this crowd that their affection for you is strictly honest and that it is for nothing but your virtue that they all pay you their court people are not blinded by these empty pretences the world is not duped in that way and i see many ladies who are capable of inspiring a tender feeling yet who do not succeed in attracting a crowd of beaux and from that fact we may draw our conclusion that these conquests are not altogether made without some great advances that no one cares to sigh for us for our handsome looks only and that the attentions bestowed on us are generally dearly bought do not therefore puff yourself up with vain-glory about the trifling advantages of a poor victory and moderate slightly the pride on your good looks instead of looking down upon people on account of them If I were at all envious about your conquests, I dare say that I might manage like other people, be under no restraint, and thus show plainly that one may have lovers when one wishes for them.
3: Do have some, then, madam, and let us see you try it. Endeavour to please by the extraordinary secret, and without
5: Let us break off this conversation, madam. It might excite too much both your temper and mine, and I would have already taken my leave had i not been obliged to wait for my carriage
3: please stay as long as you like and do not hurry yourself on that account madam but instead of wearying you any longer with my presence i am going to give you some more pleasant company this gentleman who comes very opportunely will better supply my place in entertaining you scene six alceste Salemine arsinoe Alceste, I have to write a few lines, which I cannot well delay. Please to stay with this lady. She will all the more easily excuse my rudeness. Scene 7. Alceste
0: Arsinoe. You see, I am left here to
5: entertain you until my coach comes round, as she could have devised no more charming treat for me than such a conversation. Indeed, people of exceptional merit attract the esteem and love of every one, and yours has undoubtedly some secret charm that makes me feel interested in all your doings. I could wish that the court, with a real regard to your merits, would do more justice to your deserts. You have reason to complain, and it vexes me to see that, day by day, nothing is done for you.
4: For me, madam? and by what right could i pretend to anything what service have i rendered to the state pray what have i done so brilliant in itself to complain of the court doing nothing for me
5: not every one whom the state delights to honour has rendered signal services there must be an opportunity as well as the power and the abilities which you allow us to perceive at-for
4: heaven's sake let us have no more of my abilities i pray what would you have the court to do it would have enough to do and have its hands full to discover the merits of people
5: sterling merit discovers itself a great deal is made of yours in certain places and let me tell you that not later than yesterday you were highly spoken of in two distinguished circles by people of very great standing
4: as for that madam everyone is praised nowadays and very little discrimination is shown in our times everything is equally endowed with great merit so that it is no longer an honour to be lauded praises abound they throw them at one's head and even my valet is put in the gazette
5: as for me i could wish that To bring yourself into greater notice, some place at court might tempt you. If you will only give me a hint that you seriously think about it, a great many engines might be set in motion to serve you. And I know some people whom I could employ for you, and who would manage the matter smoothly enough.
4: Hmm, and what should I do when I got there, madam? My disposition rather prompts me to keep away from it. Heaven, when ushering me into the world did not give me a mind suited for the atmosphere of a court i have not the qualifications necessary for success nor for making my fortune there to be open and candid is my chief talent i possess not the art of deceiving people in conversation and he who has not the gift of concealing his thoughts ought not to stay long in those places when not at court, one has not, doubtless, that standing, and the advantage of those honourable titles, which it bestows nowadays. But on the other hand, one has not the vexation of playing the silly fool. One is not to bear a thousand galling rebuffs. One is not, as it were, forced to praise the verses of Mr. So-and-so, to laud Madam such-and-such, and to put up with the whims of some ingenuous marquis.
5: Since you wish it, let us drop the subject of the court. But I cannot help grieving for your amours. And to tell you my opinions candidly on that head, I could heartily wish your affections better bestowed. You certainly deserve a much happier fate. And she who has fascinated you is unworthy of you.
4: BUT IN SAYING SO, MADAM, REMEMBER, I PRAY, THAT THIS LADY IS YOUR FRIEND.
5: TRUE. BUT REALLY MY CONSCIENCE REVOLTS AT THE THOUGHT OF SUFFERING ANY LONGER THE WRONG THAT IS DONE TO YOU. THE POSITION IN WHICH I SEE YOU AFFLICTS MY VERY SOUL, AND I CAUTION YOU THAT YOUR AFFECTIONS ARE BETRAYED.
4: THIS IS CERTAINLY SHOWING ME A DEAL OF GOOD FEELING, MADAM and such information is very welcome to a lover.
5: Yes, for all Seliman is my friend, I do not hesitate to call her unworthy of possessing the heart of a man of honour, and hers only pretends to respond to yours.
4: (sighs) That is very possible, madam. One cannot look into the heart. But your charitable feelings might well have refrained. From awakening such a suspicion as mine.
5: Nothing is easier than to say no more about it, if you do not wish to be undeceived.
4: Just so. But whatever may be openly said on this subject is not half so annoying as hints thrown out. And I, for one, would prefer to be plainly told that only which could be clearly proved.
5: Very well, and that is sufficient i can fully enlighten you upon the subject i will have you believe nothing but what your own eyes see only have the kindness to escort me as far as my house and i will give you undeniable proof of the faithlessness of your fair one's heart and if after that you can find some charms in any one else we will perhaps find you some consolation
0: End of Act 3